1: Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, hour two, coming at you here. <sighs> well, it's that time again. Clopine, you got some more email questions yes, for me um, now. Our, our <sighs> listeners are starting to
2: really enjoy this segment. It's
1: getting out of control because <laughs> I'm getting so many email questions <laughs> here. Now, Nerd Wallet. Yeah. Heard of them? Yes. You've heard of Nerd Wallet? I have. I have se- seen some articles of theirs? Huh. Well, now they're emailing me. Okay. Hey, I got some questions. They listen to the show. I heard you answer questions for Investopedia. Yeah. What about us? What about yeah? Let's come on equal time. Come on here. So, I don't know. We'll bust through a couple of these, um, and then a lot of you are emailing us for questions, and um, you can do that at purefinancial.com. Just go to, you can go to info or just email um, info at purefinancial.com. Yeah. Or you can just go directly to me or or Al. And we will respond.
2: Yeah. Man, you're right on. You usually respond within an hour or two. Well,
1: it, it takes me a half a second to respond. <laughs> <laughs> you're like sitting by your computer. I'm just please, waiting. That's what please. I do all day long. Someone send me someone, an email. Someone send me an email that I can <laughs> at least feel productive for a minute. Yep, that's my day. Yeah. Just sit there wait for those emails to come in. Good day. I've got, got one today. All right. Um. So here you go, Clopine. Okay, what do you got for me? So, here's an email. Uh, Does the early withdrawal penalty on my IRA apply to me? So, here's the question. If I choose to withdraw the 10% tax from the amount I withdraw from my traditional IRA, does that also then occur the early withdrawal penalty on top of that amount? If the amount withdrawn is $1,000, should I put aside $200 for the end of the uh, the year tax purpose wise. Okay, well let's let's kind of back up here. So, so. let see these these questions. <laughs> what's well, he What's he doing? If well, I choose to withdraw the ten percent tax from the amount I withdraw from my traditional IRA, does that also? then incur the early withdrawal oh so what he's saying is that he's taking money out of his IRA
2: yes and then he's going to take it and then it. he's
1: got the 10% penalty and mm-hmm. so he's going to take it out of his IRA to pay the 10% penalty
2: yeah. so the way i hear that he's going to take 1000 out he's going to take another 100 dollars out to pay for the penalty. so now it's 1100 Right? So now there's a penalty on the $1,100 of 10%. So that's $110. So yeah, it's a penalty on penalty. And you got to pay income tax on that too, depending upon your bracket. I mean, let's just say you're in the 15% bracket. Now you've got about, uh, what, about $155 in federal tax, right? So just doing this, so now you got, what, $265? Then you got state tax. So you better pull out some more from your IRA. Right. Right? And now you got to pay taxes and penalty on that. And I'll tell you what, Joe, for folks and that, that's at 15%. A lot of people are in the 25% bracket or higher. And when you're in those brackets, by the time you add up your federal tax, your state tax, your federal
1: penalty, your state penalty, it's about 50% is your tax. So here's what usually happens. And this is where people get so confused. I'm going to take money out of my 401k plan. And then they'll withhold 20%. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Like. that they're just withholding it so the IRS will get their money. But you don't pay the tax until April next year when you do your tax form. That's when the penalties will show up and then that will tell you what the total tax is. Yes. And if the 20% was not withheld or, or was not enough to be withheld to pay that tax, guess what? You're going to owe additional tax.
2: Yeah, that's just. And the, then if you right.
1: go to your IRA or you're back to your 401k to pay the additional tax because you didn't withhold enough. Well, yeah, then that's another distribution. Then then you're going to pay tax and penalties on that. And then guess what? Next year, you're going to do the same damn thing. It just keeps
2: going and going and going. Yeah, no, that's not a good idea. And it's it's because of that we tell you, really, never use your IRA for anything other than retirement. That's what it's for. <sighs> Easier said than done, though. I, I get it. Life gets in the way. But just not a good idea. Very, very expensive to pull money out of your IRA before fifty nine and a half.
1: You should just pretend you don't even have it. You should. I Agreed. Right. Yeah. I don't have it. I can't touch it.
2: Yeah. Right. It's
1: not there. It's not I don't there. Know where it is? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> you have got to bury it. <laughs> <laughs> Some people just got to hide it from them.
2: Right, and then and then yeah, have someone else bury it with it, and then <sighs> they know where it is with the treasure map. Of course, they may not tell you later. Right.
1: All right. Um, do four hundred one k contributions have any effect on my MAGI, MAGI, modified adjusted gross income? All right. Okay. Well, the Yeah, the answer is yes. Yes. All right. Let's Does hear. Get, let's hear the question. Is it now. deeper than that? Okay. All right. <laughs> I am close to reaching the IRS income limit for being able to contribute to a Roth IRA. Okay. Married, finally jointly, one hundred ninety three thousand. Okay. Well, wait a minute here. Well, we can fix that too. Uh, well, contributing more to my 401k lower my income allowing me to con- continue funding my Roth IRA. Okay. Yeah, the answer is yes.
2: That's actually a really good strategy. So so I guess if you're married right now the limit is 184,000 to 194,000.
1: Right. So he's saying, "Hey, can I contribute it, so it's a phase out." Mm-hmm. So that's what another mistake. Once you reach it's like, "All right, if I'm at 193,000 and the phase out's 194, is that the end of the phase out?" Well, that means you're 90-some-odd percent of the phase-out, so you could only put in maybe 10% of the allowable contribution.
2: Yeah, that's right, which if you're over 50, it would be 650 bucks. Yeah, so that's the way that phase-out works. So right now, if your modified adjusted gross income is less than 184000 if you're married, you can do a full $6,500 Roth contribution. If you're over 50. If you're over 50. $5,500 if you're under 50, correct. And so can your spouse, by the way, working or not. So that can work. Now, let's say you're at $200,000 of income. I'm going to s- skip the modified adjustment. Just 200000 of income. Okay. Yeah, let's say you do, uh, and you're under 50, you put $18,000 into your 401k, so now your income is 182000 Well, you're below now the one eighty four. so you can do the full $5,500 into that Roth contribution or 6500 if you're over 50.
1: Yeah, so p- contributing to the 401k plan will reduce your taxable income, hence reduce your modified adjusted gross income or AGI or whatever else income number yeah. you want to look at. Yeah, and, and that's so that's important for doing Roth contributions. It's also important for other things. Because
2: at certain income levels, your modified adjusted gross income determines how much of your exemptions are phased out, how much of your itemized deductions are phased out, whether you have to pay that Medicare surtax on unearned income like interest, dividends, capital gains. So there's a lot of things.
1: So when you can reduce your modified adjusted gross income, right? I mean, that's an above the line deduction. Correct. So then it's like, okay, well, what's an above the line deduction? The, those are good. <laughs> those are good deductions. <laughs> <laughs> Retirement accounts would be above the line. What else could someone do above the line uh, to reduce
2: their modified adjusted gross yeah. income? Yeah. Well, if you had, mm. um, if if you had a business that lost money, so, uh, or NOL, if, if you yeah net operating loss, if you have capital losses, you can you can then carry $300, three hundred three thousand dollars. Health insurance. Yeah, health insurance. If you're self-employed, other kinds of pension plans. If you're self-employed.
1: Yeah, so there's there's quite a few things. Most of them are below the line, yeah. such as your Schedule A, yeah, such as and, and, t- state tax and mortgage right. interest and charitable deductions and yeah, medical expenses. Yeah,
2: of course there's a lot of there's exceptions to what I'm going to tell you, but you might think of above the line as things related to income. And direct expenses to that income, whereas below the line is generally personal expenses, right? So it's charity, it's state taxes, it's medical, it's your home mortgage, it's things like that.
1: I mean, it's, it's, seriously, there's so many questions um, when it comes to retirement accounts. What you can do, what strategies are appropriate for you? I mean, if you could just imagine a retirement game plan, you know, that you had all the answers, you had everything, you know, to a rock solid game plan that covered everything from A to Z. I mean, that would bring a lot of confidence.
0: This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB.
1: Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, Big Al Clopeline. Thanks for tuning in. Go to purefinancial.com to get a little bit more information about us if you'd like. We're a fee-only, registered investment advisor. We act as a fiduciary 100% of the time. We do not sell any products. We give advice um, and so, Big Al and I have been given advice, um, or nuggets, if you will. Don't take this as advice. We're not. We don't know you, right? We don't know your situation. So this is not advice. Come in, and our clients, we give advice to.
2: Yeah, that's true, and and that's an important distinction, Joe. I mean, so we're throwing out different ideas, different strategies, trying to educate you on what you need to do to get ready for retirement, or if you're in retirement, how to retire, how to stay retired successfully, tax strategies, but. What's interesting, Joe, is what may work for you may be completely different than what your friend and neighbor should be doing because it's individualized. And the reason is because you have different goals. Uh, you probably, you may have different longevity in your life. You've got maybe different savings uh, and all kinds of things factors that go into what's going to be the best strategy for you and that's that's why I mean honestly I mean I I know there's retirement income calculators and things like that and and those are better than nothing but I think a lot of people sort of get misled when they they sort of put in two or three or four input variables and then think that they've got this figured out because (laughs) there's a lot more to this than
1: meets the eye and that's why we've been talking about this for 10 years on the radio So, and then just to prove just little things um, when it comes to the questions and emails that we get. And so we're um, answering some emails from Investopedia. Um, We switch to them now? Not NerdWallet? I haven't got to NerdWallet. Oh, I thought you were on NerdWallet. No, this is Investopedia. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. Here's another question for you, Big Al. Okay. Which should I take, a monthly pension or a lump sum buyout? I'm single, 68-year-old male. I have a pension. 401k and have not filed for Social Security yet. Okay. I have one 32 year old son who is living with me. He is not a college graduate and has a low paying job with no retirement accounts. Should I consider him in my decision? Ah, interesting. Interesting. Okay. So that's the end? So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to can't wait to hear your answer in this. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so tell me, the last sentence, the 32-year-old son, what was the fact about him?
1: Should I consider him in my decision, I'm taking a lump sum or a pension? I know, but there's something before that. What was the sentence before that? I don't know. But he's not a college graduate.
2: Oh, oh that was that was the cat <laughs> And has a
1: low-paying job. Okay, got it. Okay.
2: And no retirement accounts. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you my answer, Joe, and then you can correct it. Well, so uh, here's what I think when you've got the opportunity for pension or lump sum is uh, first of all you want to take a look at that lump the the pension option the income option if you will and let's just say I'm gonna make this real simple so let's just say it's ten thousand dollars a year so that's okay that's one variable then you look at well, what's the lump sum option well if it's a hundred thousand dollars you divide the 10,000 to 100 that's a 10% payout that's a really good payout right and then you got to look at is this does this get adjusted for inflation or not I, probably most private companies don't have inflation adjustments a lot of the government pensions do have inflation or cost of living so that's obviously a factor 10% or maybe it's $8,000 of payments and it's a $100,000 lump sum that's 8% might look good today today
1: yeah but right? so the the problem with that calculation I. Feel- think you're on the right track, but you have to take the net present value of those future cash flows. You do. You do. And it? then you take a look at what your life expectancy you think is. So if you, you have longevity, you're going to live longer if you don't have longevity, right? And then so you say, all right, well, maybe I'm going to receive these payments for 10, 20 years. Right. And then you take the net present value of those cash flows, and then you compare that to the lump sum option. And then that's going to give you your best decision right. just on a pure dollar figure. Sure. But then you have to t- calculate taxes. Yeah, You have to calculate your family. So this individual, Hey, you know, I got a son, he's 32, still living with me. All right. Never went to college. He's got a very low paying job. What do I do here? Should I consider him? Yeah. Because if I take the pension, if I die, then it's gone. That's exactly right. right. If I have the lump sum. Maybe then there's an inheritance for the child.
2: Yeah, exactly. And particularly if I'm 68 years old and I'm not in terribly good health, I'd, I'd, I probably would favor the lump sum. And I would think about my child because that would certainly be a factor.
1: On but the other- this guy seems like he's got his act together in a sense is that he's, if he's 68, he's got a 401k, he's got a pension. He hasn't filed for Social Security yet. So that means he's got you know either he's still working or potentially he's got other assets that he's drawing from.
2: Right. But I, that's but that's yet another factor. Social security is also a payment stream that would go away if he passed. So again, you, he I the answer is should he consider his son? The answer is yes. But there's a lot of variables to help you decide whether you ought to take that lump sum or not. And, but I uh, think he first has to consider himself. Of course. But what what would you say, Joe? I mean, cuz a lot of people have this this quandary right in front of them. Would you say it, more people should take the, the, the pension or more people should take the lump sum or is that not, we really can't answer that There's question.
1: There's no way you can answer that. There's no way. Okay. Uh, you have to take a look at all the different factors that we just I, looked at. I just at. said most. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But I don't know if, Um. so I'm, I might have a little bit different opinion in regards to or looking at the son. Okay. Right? I think a lot of times parents jeopardize their own financial security for their kids. Yeah, I agree with that. Right, and I and I understand that to some degree, but I don't have any children. You have children, yes. Right? But it's like I mean, we we talked about this yes, yesterday, last week. I mean, you got these parents that are paying like twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars a year for like extracurricular activities for their kids, right? And they don't have a dime saved in a retirement account. Or they don't even have a cash reserve, but they're spending thirty thousand dollars a year, so their their kids can, you know, they're they're not you know funding college, so they're you know so they can play soccer. Right. I mean, I played kick the can, <laughs> right? I hide and go seek. <laughs> yeah, and you I tr- don't.
2: You turned out all right. I
1: did. I did uh, pretty good, <laughs> right? So it's not like, hey, mom, I need you know new cleats and you know because I probably suck anyway. Yes.
2: Yeah, so so, I agree with everything you said and i would just add the caveat cuz he said should i consider my son the answer is yes but is that the main factor absolutely not everything that you said is true joe because all of these these the pension versus the lump sum the 401k the social security This is, these were benefits, retirement benefits designed for you, not your son. Exactly, right. right. And you are right. And I would say that uh, the baby boomer generation has probably gone a little bit overboard in trying to take care of their kids. And it really has, it is now it's affecting their own retirement. So I completely agree. But yeah, because you have a son that you're concerned about, yeah, I would definitely, that would be part of the, the equation, but that's not the main part for sure.
1: Here's another one. Why... Oh, this is interesting. Okay. Why should I hire a fiduciary advisor? Oh, Oh, good. There we go. So I'm eligible to retire now, but have a target date of 99 three days from today. Oh, my goodness gracious. What the heck does that mean? (laughs) I am currently a federal government uh, worker under FERS, Okay. Um, my brother says I should seek out a fiduciary advisor. Okay. How would a fiduciary uh, help me, and at what cost? I am raising a preteen, still have a mortgage, and have a healthy TSP. Okay. Good. I like that. What do you think? Well, what what can a I... now does it say? I don't know. Just because he said I have a target date of 993 days from today means he needs to hire a fiduciary advisor. (laughs) In in
2: years, that's a, that's about almost, that's little under three. That is that how government employees think about things? I in have days. no idea. Yeah,
1: days and minutes
2: <laughs> it's on their calendar. <laughs> been tracking this. I was down. I was at ten thousand days. Now I'm nine ninety three. Hundred ninety three days for my retirement. Well, date. I I will say this. A, a lot of government. But
1: he's like <laughs> my target date. Is that my, my his target date fund? Or is that well, his target date of 993 days from today is when I, he's I,
2: punching? I think that's his when he's punching. I, that's what I gather from that. I, I don't know if a 99. Maybe
1: years. you can, if you hire a fiduciary advisor, maybe you can cut that down to 992 days. <laughs> maybe,
2: maybe you can get a week. Early. All right. Well, well, well you know, hey, we got to take a quick break.
1: Uh, we're we're yeah, at the right. bottom of the hour here. We'll we'll, we'll come back and we'll, um, we'll answer we'll, more of the, your questions. Uh, go to PureFinancial uh, dot com and uh, we'll be back in just a second. Show us how your money or wealth.
0: Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760
1: AFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner alongside Big Al Colfine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Pure financial. Is the company that we work for. We're a fee only registered investment advisor. Uh, Act as a fiduciary 100% of the time. We don't sell any products, just advice. Um, And we're getting some interesting email questions here today. And so we're busting these things out. Investopedia, they send me stuff every week because they just love the answers. And I did get a full disclosure I did get a pair of socks. You did. From
2: Investopedia. And you did mention that last time. I'm still waiting for my pair.
1: Yes. And. so we're talking about this individual. He said, why should I hire a fiduciary advisor? I'm eligible to retire now, okay. he says. All right. But have a target date of 993 days from today. Okay. I am currently a federal government <laughs> worker under FERS. My brother says I should seek out a fiduciary advisor. How would a fiduciary help me and what at what cost? I'm raising a preteen, still have a mortgage, and have a healthy TSP. Got it. Well, I'm going to start this, Joe.
2: By saying that I believe everybody needs a financial plan, but not everybody needs a financial plan-er. Okay. Okay. Heard that before. I'm going to start with that. But I will also follow that up with that almost everybody that I see, even the ones that say they have a plan, it's not very well thought out. So you actually might. Or it's uh, not
1: executed.
2: Yeah, well, thought out or executed, right? And so you may actually want a second opinion or someone looking over this. And then then there's a choice. Who do you go to? Do you go to, like, a full-service broker that can sell you the insurance products that you need and other investments? Or do you go to the fiduciary that just basically gives you advice? and we believe that you're better off going to the fiduciary because they're independent. They're fee only. They're not selling you product and so and they're under a different standard which is they have to give you the best advice, the best that what they believe is the best course of action for you versus someone that's a broker that really can kind of sell you something that's suitable for you but may not be the absolute best investment for you. Now But so that's what I would say. I would say, yes, you probably should go to an advisor. Right. I mean, because this guy,
1: definitely, or gal, is like, hey, man, I'm counting the days. I got 993 days. Get me out of here. (laughs) So then you look at, all right, well, how can a fiduciary help you? Well, maybe you can cut those days down potentially. You got a preteen, you got a mortgage, but you have a healthy TSP. You're eligible to retire now. You're probably, what, 55? And so then it's like okay well what, what what what's the goal here you got a pension uh, potentially depending on what type of uh, government worker you are uh, you might have some social security there too right so you got Could fers be. social security you got your tsp so now it's looking at okay well on those three things How are you going to create the retirement income that you need to make sure that you can retire? Can you retire a little bit earlier? Or do you have to wait 995 days or even more than that, 1,000, 1,900 days? (laughs) So figuring this stuff out, then you can start counting different days to make sure that you know exactly what you need to do. And at what cost? I don't know. It depends on the overall complexity. Our firm, we charge a couple hundred bucks an hour, depending on what the complexity is and how much time it's going to take us to put together a full strategy for you. So it could take us 30 hours of work, it could take us 10 hours of work, it could take us five. But when we, we do a financial strategy at our firm, and this is not meant to be a commercial, is that we have multiple facets when we look at someone's overall situation. It's just not a one-man shop. I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head here, we have over, what, 30 CFPs, 25, something like that? Yeah,
2: I'd say, yeah, close to 30. Right,
1: probably. so um, you can go to our website and count the certified financial <laughs> planners on, our, <laughs> to on get, our team to get the exact, <laughs> get the exact number. <laughs> number compliance. compliance. Uh, we have CPAs on staff, we have MBAs. Right? We have chartered financial analysts. So we have different departments, and we utilize each of those different departments. So it's not like a one-man shop and you're using one man's brain or one gal's brain. So we dive in deep into all different areas of someone's financial life to make sure that they get the best information and advice possible when it comes to Social Security strategies. Of course, taxes. We lean heavily there because we believe if you can save money in taxes, your money's going to grow that much further and you can take less risk. Then we dive into the overall portfolio, risk management, estate steep Planning and everything else in between. So, with our firm, it's not like here, let's just look at cash flows and say, all right, well, here's where you're at, here's where you need to be, and eh, maybe you, I think you're on track. Well, sure. I mean, anyone, anyway, you could do that online. You don't necessarily need to hire an advisor, but if you really want to dive in, I think a fiduciary, certified financial planner, CPA uh, type team is the best way to go. And of course, I'm biased because I'm a certified financial planner and now it's a CPA. So, that was very well said. So, anyway. Check. And I think it was compliant. All right, <laughs> so all right, let's go to. Uh, we got time for a couple more here. Yeah, we do. All right, hey, are high yield bonds a good investment? Oh boy, uh, do we have more? Or is that the question? That's the question. That's all I got. That's all you got. Do you want me to take a stab at this, or you want to go with it?
2: Uh, I I'm going to say no, um, and the reason is because a high yield bond. Uh, another name for that, Joe, is a junk bond. It's, in other words, it's, an, it's a bond that has a high interest rate, but the corollary to that is there's a lot of risk. There's something wrong, or the, the, it's, it's not rated as well as, a, as maybe an investment-grade bond, so you have more chance of default in something like that, so there's more risk. And Number two uh, is those high-yield bonds, uh, as, as a general matter of course, tend to be more correlated to the stock market than other types of bonds. So, in other words, when the stock market goes down, so do high-yield bonds. They tend to go down at the same time. They act a little bit more like equities in down markets, whereas high-quality bonds, yes, you don't get as much interest, but they tend to hold their value, and in some cases even increase in value when the stock market's going down. So, no, I don't particularly care for high-yield bonds right now.
1: I don't think it's a good or bad investment. I mean, I I think... All investments have different characteristics, and I think you said that pretty well. Is that I think people get confused too because I like high yields, of course. I, right? want Why wouldn't I want a high yield bond. You just have to take a look at the risk factors of whatever investment that you're trying to get into. And so, you know, if I want if if I want a really high octane you know bond portfolio to get me the highest rate of return, you would go really long. So I would give my money to a really bad company for 40 years. <laughs> right and hopefully i get that loan and, back and you get the highest rate you get the highest rate right so but like grease bonds yeah would it would
2: it continue and would you get your money
1: exactly. back exactly so if this company is you know hey it's it's not rated pretty well so that means it's low credit quality and you're going to give them a loan Right? You're not buying into the company. You're not taking advantages of profits if they turn this thing around. It is a loan. So bonds and stocks work differently. So I like to invest in companies that you know are more value, lower priced. That's a stock. I'm buying into the future profitability of that over, overall organization. A bond is a loan. So if I'm looking at high-yield bonds, so I'm going to give a loan to a company that has poor credit quality for a very long period of time, that will give me the highest yield. But that highest yield is going to, in comparison to a stock, I don't think the risk is worth it.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And then, Joe, there's the matter of taxes because a high-yield bond is going to be ordinary income, and you got to pay ordinary income taxes at the highest rate. Let's think about a stock uh, as, as, as a comparison. With a stock, you get a dividend, which is basically your share of the profit that the company is distributing out to you. And in most cases, if it's a domestic company or a foreign company on, on a domestic exchange, it's what's called a qualified dividend. And a qualified dividend is taxed at the capital gain rate, not the regular ordinary income rate. It's the capital gain rate, which is quite a bit lower. Now furthermore, with a stock, when you buy and then later sell, if you hold the stock for a year and a day and sell it at a gain, you pay capital gains rate on that too. Now your bonds, well that's that's ordinary income and high yield is going to be taxed at the highest of, of rates. And if you think about this, if you got a whole bunch of money in an IRA and a 401k with your required distributions, that's going to be at ordinary income. Right now, you got your high yield bonds outside in your in your non-retirement accounts. You're paying ordinary income. You got Social Security. You got maybe a pension. You got all kinds of stuff, and it's and it's uh, so it's not very tax efficient. And that's we talk a lot about tax efficiency because a lot of people don't realize they have much control over their taxes, but it's not true. In retirement, you've got more control over your taxes than any other time in your life. And a lot of advisors aren't really talking about that because they're focused on investments or they're focused on taxes for the current year. But you gotta have a forward-looking tax strategy to be, be able to pay the least amount of taxes over your lifetime.
0: Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760, KFMB.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner. Big Al Clopine sitting next to me. He's a CPA. And uh, we're getting into your questions here today. Got some emails from Investopedia. Got some emails from NerdWallet. Don't think we're going to get to NerdWallet. We've had such a good time with Investopedia. Oh, man. Except we're, we're not laughing as much today. Well, because some of these are actually pretty good questions. <laughs> I suppose. Maybe. Sometimes we get a bag of questions that it's like you've got to wonder who was on the other side of the computer. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yes, good point. Um, all right, well, man, we're at the last segment. home stretch. thanks for hanging out with us. Go to purefinancial.com. Go to um, subscribe if you'd like to our podcast, iTunes, Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, a lot of podcast listeners out there nowadays. Uh, iTunes, Your Money, Your Wealth. Or you can, whatever. Um, I don't know how else you get to our podcast, but I think we're on every single thing. <laughs> just all the things yes all those <laughs> different gadgets well i have the podcast app on my phone
2: so you can get it through there too your money yeah, your but wealth.
1: there's like fire burner and i know there's all
2: yeah i mean i don't know but, but that's, we're on that's, those too i'm sure because we're we're because solid
1: if we are <laughs> we're not our, <laughs> our people are it's yes, our, our clutch marketing team yes um like mike and, and megan yes so Mike is listening to this, and so she's got to type all this stuff out yes. and send it to Investopedia. She does, yeah. She does so, a great job at it. Yeah, Mike. I just want to say thank you, Mike I just and. can't believe I good a job you do. And uh, <laughs> oh And you- um... All right, here's the next question. Do I need to pay capital gains tax on the sale of my retail space? All right. Okay. I am um, being bought out of my second business by the landlord who needs the retail space back for 730000 what at the capital gains tax implications on this sale? Currently, I have another ten month old business that I borrowed and spent eight hundred fifty k to open. Okay. All right. So he's selling this, and so there's not nearly enough information. Uh, but I guess. Thank you for telling us it's your second business.
2: <laughs> that was helpful.
1: By the landlord, so you might need a new landlord if he keeps buying your businesses out. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> Who needs the retail space back for 730? So do you own it? I don't know. <laughs> What is the capital gains tax? It could be nothing. It could be zero. Do you own the... Or are you receiving $730,000 of capital gain?
2: Yeah, we'll make some assumptions here, first of all. I think in one sentence he said, I'm actually selling the business.
1: So let's just say he's got a capital gain of $730,000. But if he's selling the business, there could be ordinary income in there too.
2: Well, it depends how it's being sold. So let's go down that path just for a second. So let's, first of all, he's selling it for $730,000. Let's just say... He invested I don't know, he invested two hundred thirty thousand in this business. So it's a five hundred thousand dollar gain. So when you when you look at gains, you always look at what you're selling something for versus what you paid for it in the first place. And in the business, it's it's what you paid for common stock, what your basis is in the business. So in this case, I'm just making this up, Joe. Sell it for 730, you got a tax basis of 230, you got a $500,000 gain. It is capital gain if that's what you sold, and you pay some of it will be probably taxed at 15%, some might be taxed at 20% federal tax. There is no Medicare surtax at 3.8 percent when it's your own active business. so you avoid that, you got state taxes. Now, if you sold this business in such a way that maybe let's say the business sold for400,000 and you got a $300,000 um, uh, consulting agreement in other words you're going to stay involved in this business so you still sold it for 730 but now the capital gain part is four hundred thousand sales price minus the tax basis let's just call it two hundred thousand you got a two hundred thousand dollars gain and the three hundred thousand that you'll receive for your consulting services well that's ordinary
1: income to you so it could be that right but- okay so let's just look at this 730 <laughs> gain but he borrowed and spent 850 to open another business. Yeah, so
2: if he sold business one and then later opened business two, they're completely unrelated. So, so you,
1: but he's thinking, hey, I borrowed eight fifty, so does that eight fifty offset the seven no. thirty? I guess
2: I'm, that's what he's really asking. Here. Yeah, I think that's what he's asking too. So he's, yeah, can you can you ne- no unless you sell if you sell both businesses and you got one loss. Yeah, so so let's say you sold both businesses for seven hundred thousand and you put eight fifty and you got a hundred fifty thousand dollar loss right so that, that so w- but but he put 850 into the business he doesn't
1: sell it what can he write off
2: he, well, it depends what it was spent for. So let's say it was spent for equipment, then he can depreciate that equipment over five years, seven years. He could take the Section, section 179 right off for yeah, 500000 if he's got income from that business. So that's that's a caveat there. you got to have income to use the Section 179. Uh, if, he, if he used it to pay employees, well, that's deductible. If he used it to buy inventory, it's not deductible until he actually sells the inventory. So it, it depends. So I think we exhausted that. Ugh,
1: too much. (laughs) All right, got a couple minutes to go here. Okay. Which income option is best for a 70-year-old? Okay, 70-year-old. All right, I am 70 years old and don't know which income option is best for me. Okay. I have a presidential annuity and have named my husband as a beneficiary. I do not understand the difference between life annuity, life annuity with guaranteed monthly payments, and joint and survivor annuity. Okay. Well, I'm going to bust this out, and then we're going to get out of here. Yeah, this sounds like a question for you. All right. The difference between life annuity. That's just on one life. So if you pick a life annuity, you're going to annuitize that contract. It sounds like, and then it's just on your life. So you're 70 years old. They'll take a look at, all right, well, how much is in the contract? You're 70. We're going to give you X amount of dollars for the rest of your life. Now, if you die the next day, then that dollar's gone. So single life. Single life. It's going to give you the highest income benefit for sure because sure. it's just on one life. Right. So if you think, hey, I'm in a lot better shape, a lot better health than my husband, and I'm going to live a lot longer. You know, and he's got plenty of money. If I die, he doesn't need this income. Well, then you might want go the life annuity but you want to make sure that you check all your options and everything else because what that's going to do to the spouse or surviving spouse if you were to pass away so single life that is just life annuity that's you life annuity with a guaranteed monthly payment so let's say hey i want the life annuity but i want a 10-year guaranteed certain so what that means is that all right well here i might get i'm going to have a higher benefit than a joint life and then let's say if I die the next year, what's going to happen? And that that payment will still be guaranteed for the next nine years if you set selected, let's say, a ten-year period certain, five-year period certain, or whatever it is. So that period certain is that if you die prior to the period certain, that payment is still going to pay out to the family or the the estate, if you will, um, you know, for that time period. Got it. So if you want to protect it for a certain time period and still want to get a little bit higher benefit, then that's the option. A joint With survivor annuity, that's going to give your spouse the same annuity payment as you if you were to pass away prematurely. So that payment continues to go on for both lives. So I take a joint life, I get that income, and then if I pass away, then my spouse would continue to get that same income until my spouse dies. So those are the options. So I understand it's confusing. All this stuff can be very confusing. So you have to look at so many different options. You can't look at this stuff in a bubble because then you'll probably make big mistakes and say, hey, I want the single life annuity because that's going to give me the biggest payment. But then guess what? You might be hurting you know, your, your surviving spouse. I mean, anyone who's recently retired or looking at retiring in the next few years, I mean, it has really three significant challenges facing them today. Truth be known, right, you probably haven't saved nearly enough for retirement. And you don't have enough to last you for the next 25, 30, or even 40 years. So you better get serious about saving now. You have no retirement game plan. Right now, your plan is nothing more than a bunch of scattered statements. There's no plan or strategy surrounding healthcare, taxes, social security, or how all your investments are going to work together. And if you're truly honest with yourself, you probably have a lot more questions than you have answers. And finally, 99% of what you know about retirement, it's dead. It's equivalent to like an eight-track tape player. You need new solutions that are going to stand up to today's challenges, like record low interest rates, increasing longevity, skyrocketing healthcare and medical expenses, unprecedented stock market volatility in a country with, what, close to $20 trillion in debt? Do you want me to keep going here? You can no longer rely on a company pension plan or a government for your retirement. You're truly on your own.